When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lease. On today's episode of Cold Case Friday, we dive into the case of Amy Sue Pegnick. Elise initially thought the teenager ran away from home, but now believe she was abducted. But before we get into the story, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Audible, for sponsoring this episode. Audible is home to over thousands of audiobooks from any kind of genre. Fiction, nonfiction, historical, autobiographies, the choices are endless. If you're interested in a free audiobook of your choice, head on over to audibletrial.com slash Larry21. And now on to today's episode. Amy Sue Pegnick spent the day helping her father harvest fruit and vegetables from a farm they owned in Santee County, Minnesota on August 5th, 1989. Normally, Amy's mother and younger sister would have come along to help with the harvest, but they had other plans on this particular day. Amy and her father, Marshall Minton, arrived at the farm around noon and spent about five hours there, leaving for their Maple Grove, Minnesota home at 5 p.m. They were only two miles from home when Marshall decided to stop at the Holiday gas station in Osseo to use the restroom, while Amy waited in his car. When he returned a few minutes later, the 13-year-old was gone. Assuming she had needed to use the ladies' room, Marshall waited outside the door for her. There was a customer in the single-person ladies' room, but it was an older woman. Amy was nowhere to be found. Marshall spent about ten minutes searching the area surrounding the gas station, but no one recalled seeing Amy get out of the car. Confused, Marshall then called his wife from a payphone outside the gas station and told her that he couldn't find Amy. He thought perhaps she had gotten tired of waiting for him and decided to walk home. Susan hadn't seen her, and it was unlikely Amy could have walked all the way to her house in that short of amount of time. Marshall drove home slowly, hoping to spot his daughter along the route. When he got to the house, there was still no sign of Amy. He and Susan called the police. Maple Grove Police Officer Jeff Garland was dispatched at her home to take a missing persons report. He arrived at 5.45 p.m. It wasn't the first time he had responded to a call from Amy's parents. He had already been there several times that summer. According to Jeff, Amy was a frequent runaway. 
and her parents had been frustrated by her behavior. Marshall and Susan previously told the officer that Amy was out of control, and they suspected that she would run off to drink alcohol and have sex. The couple told Garland that Amy had a medical condition that caused pressure on her brain and she was prone to having seizures. They also noted that she might be bipolar, though she had never been diagnosed as such and was not taking any medication. Susan worried that Amy might have had a seizure while she was waiting for her father. Amy would frequently become disoriented after having a seizure. This could have resulted in her wandering away from her father's car. Given the short amount of time that Amy was out of Marshall's sight, police didn't really think that the seizure was responsible for Amy's disappearance. Amy had already run away from home and been reported missing three times that summer. Each time, she returned on her own. Police believed that Amy had simply run off again. She was categorized as a juvenile runaway and no investigation into her disappearance took place. As weeks went by without any sign of Amy, law enforcement seemed to reevaluate their initial runaway assumption. In 1990, they conducted interviews of people who had known Amy and searched her home, but the teenager's location remained a mystery. A group, calling, a group called Missing Children Minnesota learned of Amy's case and helped to spread the word about her disappearance. Although a few potential sightings of Amy were reported, police were unable to verify any of them. The investigation at Amy's disappearance went cold almost immediately, and it would stay that way for decades. Her case had failed to grab the attention of... Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Local news media, it appeared that Susan and Marshall were the only ones still looking for Amy. Behind the scenes, however, police continued to quickly, or quietly, rather, work her case. In May 2014... As the 25th anniversary of her disappearance drew near, actions taken by the police department would propel Amy's case into the headlines for the first time. Although they remained tight-lipped about the investigation in May 2014, police obtained a search warrant for Marshall and Susan's home. The couple was forced to relocate for a week while law enforcement swarmed the property. They immediately started excavating the home's backyard. Amy's parents said they would have would have given police permission to do whatever they wanted to do to the property without a warrant, but admitted that they didn't think it made any sense. Officials declined to say if they considered Amy's parents to be suspects. Susan maintained that they had done nothing wrong and were pleased to see that police were finally taking Amy's case seriously, though she was confused as to why they were focusing on their property. The fact that police ex executed a search warrant caught the attention of the news media, and Amy's case received extensive publicity for the first time. Reporters began probing into the details of Amy's disappearance, and they had a number of questions for police. Although officials refused to go into detail, they noted that there were no witnesses who saw Amy at the Holiday gas station on the day she went missing. Detectives were unable to verify that the teenager had been there at all, and asked for anyone with information about the case to come forward and speak with police. Neighbors appeared shocked at the fact that police were tearing up the family's backyard. Many believed she had been abducted by a stranger. Some thought police were focusing on the family simply because they had no other suspects due to their failure to adequately investigate the case when Amy first went missing.
Investigators spent a full week searching the property for clues about Amy's whereabouts. If they found anything, they didn't really release this information publicly, and no arrests were made. Susan noted that officials appeared to have taken some paperwork from the home. It's unclear how this might be related to Amy's disappearance. The following month, police spent four days conducting, conducting a search of the family's farm, combing over the 140-acre property. Again, they did not release any information about what had prompted the search or what they were hoping to find. Officials maintained that they had no suspects in Amy's disappearance and the search was just part of their ongoing efforts. Susan and Marshall later admitted to reporters that they believed they had been prime suspects for years, but they maintained their innocence. Susan believed that Amy had likely been abducted for sex trafficking purposes. Although the police had no direct evidence of this, rumors had circulated years earlier about Amy possibly being cited working as a stripper or a prostitute. Amy's case soon faded back out of the headlines, and she remains missing. Detectives admit that they don't know if Amy is alive or dead. As of now, they have no evidence that a crime was committed. They remain hopeful that Amy is still alive. Amy's disappearance has been the subject of much speculation by amateur sleuths. Some believe that Amy got out of her father's car, perhaps after having a seizure, and was abducted by a stranger. They are critical of police for their lax attitude when Amy was first reported missing, and even officials agreed that the initial response was poor. If they had taken the case seriously, they might have been able to find witnesses who saw Amy at the gas station that day. At the time, they didn't even check to see if, they had, if there had been surveillance cameras there. It was an oversight that potentially hindered their investigation. Others seem to believe that Amy's parents were involved. Many question why Marshall would bother stopping in a restroom just two miles from his home. They point out that the police had been called to the home on numerous occasions, suggesting there was tension between Amy and her parents that might have ended in violence. It's also possible that Amy decided to run away from home, then ran into foul play at some point after that. Her friends pointed out that she had experienced some bullying at school and often spoke of wanting to run away. It's unlikely that a 13-year-old could survive along on her own, but there is always a chance that Amy is out there somewhere, alive and happy. Let us know your thoughts in the comments section below. Do you have any theories on what happened? And as always, give us a like. If you like our videos, subscribe to the channel, hit that bell notification button to be notified of future videos. And if you want to support the channel, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash tcns. As always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you next time. Take care. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash True Crime Never Sleeps.